Um, We are in Galatians chapter 4 today. If you would please turn to Galatians chapter 4. When I was in college, I was part of a fraternity house, and it was a wonderful experience for me, a time of great growth in Christ. And when I was there around my sophomore year, I became friends with one of the new pledges. Uh, We'll call him Joe. And Joe just seemed like he was carrying the weight of the world on his back. He, he walked around, and he was always sad, kind of depressed. And um, this is beeping at me. That's not good. Okay. Uh, we might go 45 minutes today then, just so you know. Uh, but anyways, Joe, Joe was just a guy. He was kind of sad, always bummed out. Got involved in, in some relationships with women that just weren't healthy. Uh, he started to get into to heavy drinking and drugs and things like that. And just a really sad, sad guy. God did some amazing things in his life. And through me and through some other brothers and sisters in Christ, Joe placed his trust in Christ. And you could see almost an immediate change in his demeanor. He was walking almost as if he was five feet off the ground. He was happy in Christ. Uh, he was joyful. He had a peace that he never had before. And he started reading the word, getting into what God is doing. Uh, and then we hit summer. And as we hit summer, we all went back to our hometowns and we came back together. And I realized immediately that something drastically had changed in Joe. Not for the better, but for the worse. And Joe now was, was back to his old self. He had turned back from God. Uh, he turned back to his former lifestyle. And it came with all those consequences again of just this heavy burden, this, this sin, this weight. And it was strangling him. And it was so difficult for me to see. And I was so sad to see that. You know, we're studying the book of Galatians, and the, the title of this series is Freedom from Religion. And the reason why we call it that is because there are some religious men that infiltrated the church. They would consider themselves super Christians, and they created all these extra rules for the Galatians to follow. And they actually were bonding them into slavery, as we'll see today. But Paul writes to them, and before we read the passage, I just want to give you a little bit of Paul's heart of how distraught he was by the direction that they were going. He says, in what we're going to read today, he says, I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. He says, you are my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Paul was just absolutely taken apart by this. Because he knew that better's one day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere. And they had traded God. They had turned back from God to what the world had to offer. And so, if you would, read with me Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you, here it is, turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. 
You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish Excuse me, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is holy and perfect, and yet we see the sorrow in Paul's personality, even within this text, God. And we know that Paul's not only communicating his own sorrow, his own perplexedness, he's communicating your heart towards the Galatians, God. Your love for them, your, your sadness and your desire for them to return to freedom, God. To turn back to you, Lord. God, I pray for us as we sort through this today, Lord, that in a way, all of us in our hearts have turned from you at times in our life. And that if there are areas that we would turn back, turn them back to you, Lord, and we'd surrender completely to you and to your grace. And I pray yet even for those who are not here this morning who have turned from you and have experienced you and yet left you behind, God, that they would again know the joy of their salvation and they would come back to your grace and mercy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we listen to this, listen from God's word this morning, there are kind of two positions that you could either be listening to this from. You could either be like the Galatians. Uh, you're a person who has uh, at one time was very excited and energized by the grace of God, by the salvation that he has offered, and you had great joy but you have become slowly distant from God. Slowly you have become distracted from God, and, and God is not that joyous anymore. And so you could put yourself in the place of Galatians, or you could possibly put yourself in the place of Paul, that you have some friends that you deeply care about, that you deeply loved, who have seemingly walked away from the faith, who have no longer pursued God, but have turned from God. And whatever place you're at, and, and if you're like me, you can maybe identify with both at the same time. No matter where you're at, what we want to look at today is why should those who have turned back from God now turn back to God? Why should those who have turned back from God now turn back to God? And so what we're going to do is we're first going to look at kind of what are the consequences of turning back from God. And what Paul shows us first off is that turning back from God is to return to slavery. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have become to now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, 
How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul says something here that is absolutely astounding. He talks about them turning back to something, turning back to slavery, turning back to the elementary principles of the world. Now, the reason why this is so interesting is because before Paul had come to them, the Galatians were either atheists or they were idol worshipers or they worshiped uh, astrology. Uh, They also had some demonic things upon uh, among them. And so they were so distant and far from God. And then Paul comes and he shares with them the good news of Christ. They trust in Christ. They're overjoyed by it. And then these religious leaders come in and they say, yeah, we have all these Jewish rules that you should follow. And then God will really be happy with you. And then you'll really be saved. And so they went back and they became, in a way, super Christians as what would be perceived. And what's so astounding here is Paul says, you're returning to slavery. You're returning to to the elementary principles of the world. And why that's so amazing is because before Paul came, they were pagans, they were non-Christians, they worshipped idols. But now they would claim to worship the true God, the Christian God, but have added several Jewish regulations to it. And so he's saying both religion and irreligion are turning from God. Both morality and immorality can be turning from the one true Lord, from one true God, the one who has saved you. And both of them are a return to slavery. He says both religion and irreligion are weak and worthless. They're weak because both religion and irreligion cannot save you. Both religion and irreligion has no power over the penalty nor the power of sin. He says they're weak. He also says they're worthless. Literally, in the Greek, it means they're destitute of riches, that they're empty, that they're hollow, that they can't do anything to save you. They can't do anything to fill the deepest desires and longings of your heart. They're empty and they're hollow. Both religion and irreligion are slavery. Both morality and immorality are slavery. They don't fulfill what you are called to be. Think of it as a slave. If you were a slave, you would serve your slave owner. You would serve them and serve them and serve them and serve them and serve them. And he would never serve you back. He would never need to serve you back. He would never need to love you or care for you as a child. And so as a slave, you're in the cycle of always serving, always worshiping, but never getting anything in return. But as a child... The tables are turned. As a child, you are loved before you ever even have the chance to serve God. You are loved simply because God loves you. That's it. Not because you can do something for God, but because God has done something for you and he loves you as a child. You know, when I became a dad, and I think most dads discover this, I never realized how much I could love really selfish people. (laughs) Really... um, sinful people, uh, little people that often uh, break windows, miss toilet seats, um, little people that hit and bite and pull hair. 
but I cherish them. I love them like crazy. It is a joy to hang out with my boys and my little girl. I love being a dad. And this is what God says to you, that you are not his slave. You are his child. And Paul says, what you're doing is you're returning to slavery, but you are a child. Our deepest longing in life is to be like a child, to be fully known, right? For the most part, I know almost everything wrong with my kids, but I so much love them. We want to be fully known, all our warts, all our bruises, all everything inside of us, and to still yet be fully loved. And this only comes to us through God who loves us, Deeply, Some people pursue this sense of connection, this sense of belonging through religion. Uh, they, 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 they put out this list of rules and they say, if I do all these things, then God will love me more. God will be happier with me. And so they work really hard to earn God's favor, to earn God's love. And they think, you know, I'm not really that bad of a person. And so they make the God of the universe into nothing more than really this cosmic uh, police officer or boss who's just watching to do what you do right or wrong. And then you're under slavery. Some people pursue this love and connection through irreligion by pursuing basically just selfish temptations, anything that the world has to offer. They drink it in to fulfill this hole in their heart. But it always leads to emptiness. It always leads to dissatisfaction in the end. And so Paul says there are two ways that you can turn back from God. One is religion and one is irreligion. They're both like taking a a small double-A battery that's dead and trying to jumpstart your car. They're empty. They're worthless. They can't do anything to connect you with God. Both are weak. Both are worthless and both are returned to slavery. You know, it's very funny because religion and irreligion look very different, don't they? They look very different. On a Friday night, a Saturday night, they look very different. But Paul says they're both a return to the elementary principles of the world. One is into licentiousness and to doing whatever you want, and one is into legalism, telling everyone what they should do. And he says both of them The thing that they have in common is that they are a return to slavery. But then Paul gives a third way. And it's not by pursuing religion or irreligion, by morality or immorality, by pursuing pain or pleasure. Verse 9, he says this. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. This this third way isn't pursuing God's. These gods of the earth, the the gods that the earth has to offer you, whether it be sex, money, whatever it might be, right? Even children can be little gods walking around that we worship. He says pursuing those things will never give you freedom. They'll only give you slavery. If those are the things that you worship, if you make good things, ultimate things, you will be enslaved. But there's a third way. Not necessarily Knowing God, which you get to do, but being known by God. Being known by the God of the universe. Seeing all your warts, seeing everything in your life that is messy, but loving you as a father loves his child, warts and all. And so if you have turned from God 
and you do not want to turn back to God, what you're saying isn't only, God, I'm not worthy of your love, but you're saying, I don't want it. I don't want your love, God. You're saying to the God of the universe, I would rather be a slave than a son of yours. This is what the Galatians were saying. I mean, it happened real subtle. Don't get me wrong. It's not like overnight they said, I'm a pagan, right? Very subtle. But they're saying, I would rather be a slave to the law, slave to the elements of this world, than be a son of yours, God. And Paul says, but God knows you, warts and all. He knows you can't be good enough. And God loves you. You know why God loves you? God loves you because he loves you. You know why he loves you because he loves you? Because he loves you. And so God loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. In some way, it really kind of has nothing to do with you at all. <laughs> Which is a really, really good thing. Because God knows you completely. He knows your sin. And through Christ has accepted you and loves you. This was the folly of the Galatians, thinking that they could earn God's love. Don't let it be yours. The second thing that we see is that turning back from God destroys loving relationships. And we're going to look at this in two parts. We see here he talks about how they're detached from healthy relationships and then they connect to unhealthy relationships. First, we see detached from healthy relationships. At the end of verse 12, he says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you, if possible, (laughs) you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. When someone first experiences the grace and mercy and love of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, they are so overwhelmed by the truth of this that they can't help but to go and to serve people, to love people, to care for people. Paul says that he came to Galatia and he stayed there because he had a serious illness. We're not sure what it was, possibly something with the eyes, as he talks about here. But but he could have been a burden to them. He could have been something to them that that would have been a a frustration. The word he uses here is that uh, he uses a burden or, where's the second word? Anyways, he says, I could have been a burden to you, or you could have scorned or despised me is what he said. But he said, you didn't. You loved me. And the reason why you loved me so well, the reason why you would have plucked out your eyes from me is because you knew what God has done for you. I shared the truth with you. You received it wholly, and you were amazed by the grace and mercy of God and the sacrifice that he had on your behalf. And so you wanted to do likewise. You wanted to be as Christ and live and love me. He goes on. Because something drastically changed. They, they no longer had this love relationship for Paul where they wanted to so sacrificially gouge out their eyes and give it to him. Verse 16, he says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? This is interesting because the reason why they first so much loved Paul and so much sacrificially wanted to serve Paul and care for Paul was because he came and he told them the truth. And the truth did not change, but the Galatians changed. And the truth now made Paul as if he was an enemy to them. 
And this is the truth that he shared with him. The truth that he shared with him was the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that when God looks at you, he fully knows you and he sees all your sin. He sees all the dirt in your life. He sees how messy it is. He sees really how awful of a person we are in many ways. We're completely exposed. Sin, what we, we call this pervasive depravity. And what that means is that sin affects every area of your life, doesn't it? Is there a single area of your life that selfishness and sin does not affect? It does for me. He sees it all. And yet he still sent his son to come and die for that sin so that he could accept you as completely righteous as if you have never, ever, ever, ever sinned and treat you as if you were Jesus Christ himself. And that's the truth that he told to them. And it was encouraging to them when they first received it and said, I am accepted by God. I am loved by my heavenly father. But now it became offensive to them because they were working so hard to earn God's love. They're working so hard that God might say, all right, I'm pleased with you now because you did all these things. And what Paul is saying, everything you're doing doesn't count for anything. Because even in that, even in your good works, God sees sin. And so they started to stew against Paul because of the same truth that he preached where they warmly received him. And what we see is that as, as the truth is proclaimed to people, it either draws you to God or it repels you from God. It draws you from, to, to God because you acknowledge your sin and you know you need a Savior. Or it repels you from God because you say, no, I'm a good person. I don't need a Savior. And I find it offensive that you would even say that I do. Don't you know how good I am? Look at my list. Look at my merit. And so it either draws you to God or repels you from God. And in the same way that truth draws you to truth tellers or it repels you from truth tellers. And this is what was happening to Paul. They were repelled from Paul because he was a truth teller. And so turning back from Jesus detaches you from healthy relationships, but also connects you to unhealthy relationships. Verse 17, Paul says they, and this is the religious men that infiltrated the church that started spreading all these rules to be a super Christian, says they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. The false teachers basically created this morality club and said, look at how good we are. Look at all these extra rules that we follow as Christians. If you want to be in our exclusive club, you need to follow these rules and do these things, and then you'll, you'll be accepted and more loved by God. And what this does is it creates arrogance among those that are in the group and envy among those that are outside the group. And he says, don't you want to be like us? Don't you want to become like us? And they fell for it. And they said, okay, we want to be a part of your club. And the irony is that both religion and irreligion do this. In some ways, religion does it worse, where it says we have this holiness club, or we have this athletic team, or we have this group or this clique. Don't you want to be a part of us? If you want to be a part of us, what you need to do is you need to be this good at a certain sport, or you need to look like this, or you need to be this cool, or have this much money, or whatever it is, and you can be a part of our group. But as soon as you lose those things, you're out. You're out of the group. And so in many ways, the relationships that the world has to offer you are superficial. They're not always incompletely, but many times they are. And many of the ones that we're in are more superficial than we think. That if we lose value to that person, we are cut off from them. Let me give you an illustration of this. When I was in high school, um, I didn't make the baseball team. And I like to hit things, so I joined the rugby team. And 
when I joined the rugby team, it was a, a motley crew of guys, and as you can imagine, and uh, and we started to practice, and we would go out of out of town a lot of times to to play, and so we really got connected. We became very close, sort of this this tight brotherhood. And one Saturday morning, we were practicing, and I got injured. I actually tore up some of my Achilles tendon, and I was sitting on the side just side in just so much pain. And, you know, they're yelling out at me, come on, Jackson, take off your skirt, get back in here, sissy, you know, things like that. And so being the prideful guy, I'm like, all right, I'll go back in. So I get up and walk out there, and I, I just can't make it very far. And so I go back, and I sit down. After the practice, um, I asked them, can you take me up to the school, because we're, we're kind of far from there. And they throw me in the back of the pickup truck and drive down this bumpy gravel road, I, it was so much pain at the time, but they're driving like high schoolers, all right? They're driving fast, driving reckless. They curve around, come into the parking lot, and seriously, as soon as my cleats hit the ground, they're gone, right? And I am just in pain. And so I go up, and thankfully the school's open on a Saturday. I go down to the trainer's room, and there's no trainer there. And so I go into the locker room, and I sit there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm starting to cry, and uh, just thinking... No one's going to find me till Monday morning. I'm going to die. And, you know, my imagination just goes on. And then literally two or three minutes later, and this is before cell phones, two or three minutes later, my dad comes into the locker room. I have no idea why he came at that time. I had a ride home from practice. It wasn't late. But my father came in. And he put his arms under my arm. And, uh, well, first he drove down the car carried me out to the car and put me in, took me home and put ice on my ankle. And you see the difference between conditional and unconditional relationships, don't you? (laughs) As soon as I lost my athletic ability, I was nothing to these guys. Honestly, nothing. But my father had this unconditional love for me. The world offers you a lot of conditional relationships of love in which they'll love you if you are a benefit to them, And it's superficial, um, not to say that friendships with non-Christians can't be good and, and wonderful, but oftentimes they're much more superficial than what we think. And what the gospel does, what the cross of Jesus Christ does, it gives us a radical view of relationships that no religion, no team, no tribe could possibly give you. What the gospel says is that your love for a person is not dependent on what they can do for you, but what Christ has done for you. And so you can love people that are messy, that are injured, that are, that, that, that are weird, that are strange. You can love whoever you want. Love them as much as you can because Christ has loved you. And so the radical nature of Christianity is not that we would love you if you conform to us. It's we're going to love you no matter what you do because Jesus Christ loved us. And that's the condition for our love for you. And so it's a radical love that God calls us to, to get involved in people's lives and care for them. Let me ask you this question. As a Christian or as a person, are you connected to a deep and real relationship? One where there is a relationship of sacrifice, where you give to this person, the person gives to you, you guys care for each other, you're willing to sacrifice your time, your money, your efforts, your energy to love that person? Are you in a relationship like that? And secondly, are you in a relationship of truth? 
for Paul, when he told the truth, they separated themselves from him. They distanced him. Are you in a relationship where you can say, I want you to point out my warts. I want you to point out where I'm in sin, where maybe I'm headed down the wrong path. I want you to love me enough to tell me the truth so I can return to God, so I can worship him and love him. If you do not have these relationships, I'd encourage you to find one, to find some. If you have trouble finding them, come talk to me. I'll connect you with some other folks. But find relationships of sacrifice and relationships of truth. And so turning back from Jesus returns us to slavery. It destroys love and relationships by detaching you from healthy relationships and connecting you to unhealthy relationships. Now, the good part, turning back to God. And there's really two things. Paul spends most of this passage really talking about the negative consequences of turning from God. But turning back to God gives you a real freedom. Verse 12 puts it this way. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. (laughs) Crystal clear, isn't it? Um, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Here's Here's what Paul is saying. This is what most of the commentaries say. When Paul was a Jew, he was a extremely rigid religious Jew, and he followed all the Jewish customs to the T. He was probably the best Jew there was as far as following the regulations and rules. But when he encountered Jesus Christ, he found out that most of those rules that he created were not commanded by God for Christians. There were things that he wasn't supposed to follow, such as uh, observing special days and weeks and months and years, as, as it talks about earlier in the passage. So he had been freed from the burden of the law to save himself. Now, the Galatians had that before Paul ever became a Christian. They didn't, they didn't know the Jewish law. They didn't, they didn't say, hey, we have to follow all these laws that the Jews made up for God to love us. They were already free from that stuff. And the irony is that they become Christians, and after become Christians, they submit themselves to all these laws that are not from God, but made up by man. And so they had gone to a place that Paul was before he was a Christian. And so Paul says, I became like you and that I became free from all these rules to merit God's love. And so I now encourage you to become like me again. It's not by your do's and don'ts that God is pleased with you, but it's only by the grace of God. A commentator puts it this way. He says, it's as if Paul is saying, cast aside all thought of being able to, by means of law works to become righteous in the sight of God. For wh- that is exactly what I, by grace, have taught, was taught to do. At one time, I, a proud Jew, imagined that I would be able to achieve my own righteousness before God. But I became, as you Gentiles are, by nature, condemnable in his sight with nothing of self to appeal to. The only thing that Paul could appeal to in his most righteous Judaism was Christ. And he says, that's all you have to. Turn back to Christ. The gospel isn't just for non-Christians. It's for mature Christians as well. Let me give you this illustration. It's, it's as if this is how they were treating the law. I think many times as Christians, this is how we treat the law of God. It's as if we're standing on the edge of a cliff, all right? And here's a line, and, and there's sin, and there's the Ten Commandments, and everything that we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And we stand here, and we, and we spend our life as Christians saying, I shouldn't do those things. 
And your faith becomes, I'm not going to do those bad things. I'm going to do the good things God tells me to. And this is my Christianity. And what God says is he says, turn back to me. Pursue me. Run this way. Run at Jesus Christ. Don't, don't spend your life over here trying not to break the law. Spend your life pursuing God. And look at a righteousness that will flourish far beyond what you have over there. Pursue me. Pursue God. He has loved you and cared for you. You know, as a dad, and and all the dads can probably relate to this, I'm constantly telling my kids to do as I do. You know, swing the hammer like this. Do the drill gun like this. You know, hit a baseball like this. Swim like this. Paul's saying, be like me. Be free like I am. One of the ironies here is what he's telling us that as Christians, we should be telling people, become like me. Become free in the gospel to pursue Jesus Christ. This is what you were created to do. Become like me in this way that you would have freedom to pursue Christ. He goes on. um, It it not only gives you a real freedom, but returning back to God gives you a good purpose. Verse 17 says, they make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. So they make this holiness club and they say, you know, if you want to be like us and then do these things. And so they do it to make much of themselves. But he goes on. Verse 18. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for who I am ang- for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And so these false teachers were bringing the Galatians together for a bad purpose, which was to exalt themselves. But Paul was pursuing them for a good purpose, which was to exalt Christ. And Paul was willing to do anything that Christ would be formed in them so that God would be glorified and that we would receive the joy of enjoying God forever. Let me end with uh, these illustrations. There, there are two men in the faith that are kind of heroes in the Christian faith, and one of them grew up being extremely religious, and one of them was extremely irreligious, and both of them were set free by the gospel. And so I want to look at those two side by side really quickly. One of these men, his name is John Wesley, and he was a son of a pastor you always got to watch out for those guys. And uh, at Oxford University, in his postgraduate degree, he was part of something called the Holy Club. All right? Sounds about as fun as a root canal, doesn't it? Who wants to be part of the Holy Club? I, okay. Um, he became a pastor, and he had very orthodox beliefs. He was religious in his, pro, in, in his, in his practice. He's upright in his conduct. He was full of good works. He, he served in prisons and in slums, giving food and shelter and clothes. He observed two Sabbaths a week, Saturday and Sunday, because he wasn't quite sure which one he wanted to, to obey. He gave money. He read the scriptures. He fasted and he prayed and he did all these things for God. But he was trusting in his own righteousness. He was trusting in his own good works as a pastor. A few years later, John Wesley writes about that time, and this is what he says. After coming to know Christ, he said, Trust in Christ, and Christ only for salvation. He said, I had even then the faith of a servant or a slave, though not that of a son. Christianity is a religion of sons, not of slaves. If you view Christianity as slavery, you have the wrong God. We don't like that God either. The real true God makes sinners sons, not slaves. So that was religion 
to freedom. We see John Newton, who was extremely irreligious. At the age of 11, he became involved in what a commentator calls in the unspeakable atrocities of the African slave trade. I mean, these slave trades were horrible. Um, they would take off with a, with a group of slaves, and they would get to port with um, half of them dying. Uh, or, or a large percentage, I'm not sure what. But the conditions were horrible. They had to sleep in their own uh, excrement. And so it, it was just a horrible, horrible thing. And he was extremely irreligious. And then he hit a great storm where he was on the verge of dying. His boat was going down. And he cried out to God for mercy. And God showed him mercy, not only in letting him live, but in showing him the grace and mercy that God had to offer through the cross. And as he... As he turned to God, he wanted to sacrificially serve. And so he spent his life trying to abolish slavery. And after his conversion, never forgetting the mercy of God, he wrote in bold letters across the wall of his study, Deuteronomy fifteen fifteen. he says, Thou shalt remember that thou was a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. If we remember that we were once slaves, but that we are now sons, that it is better one day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere, then we would never turn back from God. We'd always turn back to God. For the Galatians, Christianity has become just this awful, horrible list of rules that denigrated into that. And if that's where you're at today, turn back to God. It's so good. And here's the key. Here's the reason why you can turn back to God. You can turn back to God because God has never and promises to never turn back from you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we pray for liberation. We pray for freedom, not to pursue religion or irreligion, but to know you as God, to know that you are a loving and good God who cares for us deeply and wants to love us as children. God, free us from the mentality of thinking that we are slaves. God, forgive us forever perceiving you in that way, God. It is not who you are. You love us because you love us, because you love us, because you love us, because we are your children. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.